I'm Cameron Crookston. I'm Patrick Murray. And this is Video Queens. The show where two queens take a look back at the movies that made them. And this week we watched The Queen. None of the true beauties were here. Oh my god, Monique is a real one. Yeah. Oh, okay, so we're taking a look at the Queen. Um, someone I was like, oh, we're watching the Queen, and someone was like, with Helen Mirren. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, the that deer she looks at is uh, a <laughs> queer character that yeah. needs to be uh, spoken about. Have no, we're taking a look recorded. at the documentary, the Queen. Mm-hmm. Um uh some would say it's just a lead up for one scene at the end where crystal labeja uh famously like uh loses it over the results but we will get there we, we will um, cover the whole thing and maybe only spend 50 percent on that one scene um <laughs> which was which is also the basis for aja's snatch game and looking back i'm, I'm we're jumping ahead but obviously after i watched this i rewatched aja playing crystal on snatch game and she should have won that snatch game I know, I know. It's like it, it was it was funny when you didn't know who Crystal Labasia was. Mm-hmm. And then when you did, you're like, oh, oh no, that was really good. It was so good. And once again, Crystal Labasia was overlooked. So this is a documentary about um a drag pageant in the 1970s. 60s. 60s. Cameron, it's the 60s. I'm okay, um, I'm sorry. And uh it's just following like this is very like um uh fish on the wall. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I love fish on the wall. And you know what? <laughs> Don't mind me. I'm just a fish <laughs> on the wall. You could make an argument for that because wait, are you, com- are you combining um, fly on the wall and fish out of water or fly on the wall and fishbowl? Ooh, that's a good question. Now all I can think of is the fish that are like, ooh, <laughs> like, don't worry, be happy. Cause that fish on the wall is rather discreet and could be just a neutral observer. Um, so yeah. like, one thing that's okay here's why i'm gonna back it up i think fish, fish on the wall should be a term for this style of documentary because it's like it's an interesting kind and i feel like this is not like it doesn't look like a contemporary documentary because it's this thing where they don't really use talking heads but there will occasionally be scenes where like a person is kind of being interviewed but is talking like to someone off camera and not looking at the camera and it almost seems like they trying to create exposition in the conversation. It's very strange. Yeah, and every once in a while, like someone just like shamelessly just like looks at the camera and goes like, oh, um, yeah. like they're like, oh, the fish. <laughs> yeah, like they didn't have it. They didn't quite have the talking head convention. Um, right. So it looks, so what I'm, what I'm hearing you say, and I agree, is that every once in a while, someone will just turn to the side and talk to that fish on a wall um, and give them some exposition. Yes. If, if if these fishes could talk, oh girl, too many um, fish in this wall. <laughs> okay, so uh, I will say, like, even though now, of course, we are in, um, we are all just punching in at the Drag Race Factory at this point. Like, we're all we know it well. We've been watching a drag pageant run and operate for I don't even know how long. It is still very interesting to be the fish on the wall to watch the drag pageant in the 60s. Like they talk about like the draft and like being queer, like we'll get into it or we won't. Um, and uh, and seeing like, again, like obviously the 60s was a different time for queer people. Mm-hmm. Um, uh it was like, I, I did really enjoy it. And I will say I've seen it before, having seen the ending, watching it again and mm-hmm. seeing how they very much did rig it for Harlow. I was like, wow, 
Yeah, a um, couple of things. First, I want to respond to the first thing you said, because I agree. And I think what's interesting, so like, obviously, when this movie came out in the 60s, and arguably for like the 40 years that followed, this is really about a peek into a world that most people don't see. Like the mm-hmm. idea of a documentary about a drag pageant, certainly up until quite recently in history, would have been just a totally different world. Mm-hmm. Whereas for us now, living in a post-drag race um, globe, uh, it's more about, yeah, like it's a time capsule and it's interesting to see what was this thing that we're all fairly familiar with like um, mm-hmm. 60 years ago. This was 60 years ago. Is that right? No, 55, 52, 51. We can round up. I okay. mean, 60-ish. Uh, but yeah, the other thing, uh, maybe just, I mean, we normally do a plot and obviously it's a documentary, so there isn't like a proper plot, but one kind of through line is, um, I mean, spoilers, obviously. Uh, so there, there's one kind of character who is heavily featured, um, who is Harlow. Mm. Uh, Harlow's boy name is Richard. And um, Harlow is this like very young ingenue and like really, really young, just kind of looks really femme. Um, and is kind of the favorite to win and then wins. And there's like a huge blowback against some of the other queens. And there's some interesting conversations that kind of lead up to it that I'd also love to get into. But I mean, maybe I'll get into it now. What, what, what's the point of waiting? Um, there's- yeah, I think Harlow, okay. I do just have to say like the amount of time we spend with Harlow when by the end you're like, oh, we could have been following Crystal, the one with a personality. I don't know if Car- if Carlo, if Carlo, if fucking Carlo talks the whole time. Like I, I remember very like Harlow walks down the street looking nice. Harlow <laughs> hides under her covers annoyed. Um, like there's just a lot of like, like it's like, again, you're like, oh, like the pretty girl got lobotomized and now let's follow her in a documentary. Like, no, 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 no. Like she was probably great in the pageant because she just looks, she's like Pearl. It's Pearl the documentary. Um, I put down uh, Harlow is Blair St. Clair. But like, yeah, like it's, so it's, it is really interesting to see this like uh, tension that I think totally exists in drag, definitely on drag race of the kind of like, uh, oh, you know who she is? She's Gigi Good. Um, but of the, the pretty, really young I know that you're girl. still workshopping it. I had it at Pearl, but okay. Well, Pearl didn't, I guess none of them won. Um, yeah, but like the kind of young, uh, white, blonde girl whose thing is just kind of being pretty, um, being kind of like overly favored uh, by the judges at the expense of much more like seasoned, experienced, older queens of color. Yes, like you have like, and kind, it's kind of someone's like natural, like basically it's a bit of the violet. Like it's everyone's like, you're so thin. Yeah. (laughs) And she is so thin. Yeah. I'm like, yes, being thin sometimes like requires some work. But like, they're also like, I mean, if we want to get to it, her fucking wig just sitting on top of her natural hair, like just look like you're like, that's a mess. And then like Crystal LeBeige and like some of these other queens have these like <laughs> like magical cylinders of hair, like these like these like rocket, like like they're like um like 47 concentric circles piled on like ringlets upon ringlets upon ringlets. Like it's the 60s. Yes. Yeah. The other thing that's interesting that I really noticed looking back this time, because I had the same thing where it's like, now that I know the ending, how they frame uh, Harlow, is that like, I would say a little more than half the movie is actually the contestants hanging out in their hotel rooms, getting ready and talking. And we kind of watch the pageant coordinators, who we will get to because they made me laugh, um, kind of running around behind the scenes. But the funny thing is most of the other contestants we see hanging out in like groups of four, and Harlow is always just kind of like by herself. I don't know if she got a private room or they just choose to like shoot her like in like isolation and contemplation. But she kind of, yeah, she's just kind of like hanging around looking really like flase da and young and cute. And so they, it, they literally set her apart. She's not one of the other queens. We kind of have like the Greek chorus 
who are just kind of like being catty and sassy and like giving us exposition. And then we cut to Harlow waiting for her crown. Yeah, I kind of assumed she had a private room and then like they can't find her wig and she says, get the other queens out of here. Yeah. And I was like, excuse? Like as if they don't have to get ready? Like, it's like, what do you have to do? You don't even have a fucking wig. Like- And then, and then when Harlow doesn't have a wig, the coordinate, and this is I think kind of proof that they rigged, whether or not they rigged it for her, um, Sabrina, who's running the pageant, starts like making all these phone calls saying that like, Vivian, is it a matter of life or death? I need a wig. And everyone is just pulling all these strings to get Harlow a wig. Yes. Which there are so many questions. Like you're like, I know we probably would have had to wake her up to fucking ask her, but it's like, where's your fucking wig? Like, why didn't you pack a wig? It seems like everyone else packed a wig. And she doesn't ever say like, oh my God, my wig got stolen. Or like, it's just kind of like she showed up and then she was like, where's the wig that you give me? And they were (laughs) like, oh, we don't do that. And she was like, I'll go back to bed. Like, (laughs) it's so bizarre. This is very much like the people running the thing are getting it. And Harlow seems to hang it. Exactly. She doesn't hang out with the other queens. She hangs out with the fucking MC. Yeah. Uh, she's in her own little VIP section. Like, she's friends with the staff. Yes. Um, yeah. So it does seem like she's been selected. There's another scene where one of the, I, I think it's one of the older queens talking, um, or maybe it's an organizer who is, and it's during the wig debacle. And, um, which again is about 20% of this movie. Uh, and they're kind of explaining to the fish on the wall off camera <laughs> is that like, so Harlow is Harlow's like really young, but also he's telling the story that like Harlow uh, won the first pageant that she ever entered in and the mm. norm that's not the norm and that most of the queens in this contest have kind of clawed their way up from last place to second and so yes. there's a perception like in the community of this pageant is that Harlow has not earned it because like kind of like what it means to be a drag queen is that you have you start kind of at the bottom and you progressively get better um, presumably both through like acquiring skills but also just kind of like earning it yeah. Um, and that like, and that's an interesting like question about like, is it about who is just like the prettiest and who kind of presents the best? Or is there also a certain amount of like, you know, if these two girls look equally good, but one has put in more time in in like the circuit and one hasn't, is that a factor? Um, and it seems to be the implication that like if you just kind of like fall off the turnip truck and look stunning, that is still not enough. You shouldn't really win because you haven't, you know, earned it. I know. And that's, okay, that's such an interesting thing because I think that is where um, uh, there's something about this movie, because again, you have this like a very insular world potentially being presented to the outside world. Like this is like a pageant anyone can buy a ticket to. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, you're going to have people in the community, but like they're not in the know. Yeah. Um, And uh, this Okay, look, here's the thing. It reminded me a lot of going to, yes, improv competitions when I was in high school. Um, Long story short, we went to nationals. So we're at like the big do for this stupid, dumb thing that no one cares about. So like you are in this world of like, this means everything to you and nothing to everyone else. Mm. Like someone walking down the street if someone was like, if someone was like, did you know that I, I was only the fourth runner up in the true beauty competition? I'd say what, huh? Like you're in my way. So there was something I had to realize with like improv competitions or like performing where there's like, oh, this person lost and this person won. None of it matters. You're actually just putting on a show. Right. So like if you lose, that doesn't matter because it, this is just for the person who bought the ticket and they, and and the excitement of like some people go and some people win. But when you're in it, you're like, this is the only thing that matters. Yeah. Like it's interesting in um, like a, cause it's like, it's treated like a zero sum game. And I don't actually know what that expression means, but I've heard people use it. And I think this applies Oh, girl, again, I am not Stephen Hawking. I don't know who the sum is. Like, somebody once told me, like, when you said that, I 
nodded politely, which is great for a podcast. It wasn't and... that polite. <laughs> okay, um, sorry. Um, uh, uh, so you realize it's a zero dark 30. It's a zero dark 30. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I think this, the stakes are interesting. What was interesting about the way this, this documentary is shot is that once we start to get into the actual pageant, um, the coverage of it is not super equal. So for example, uh, like they have like different like categories they do like bathing suit, evening wear, it seems like there's a talent portion, but we only see about two people sing live. Also, like, do we even see them sing live, like, in the in the actual pageant? Or we see them sing live, like, backstage, and then we see that one person who just, like, <laughs> seems to have just took a quaalude and, like, didn't shave, who's wheeled in in, like, a wheelbarrow, and then it's like, bah, bah, bah. And then it goes away forever. Is that the woman? There is a queen who walks. I think we see her. We see, more we see of her this in dress the rehearsal. rehearsal where she looks terrible. And you're like, it's okay. It's just the dress rehearsal. And then in the evening performance, she is wheeled in, in what I think was a wheelbarrow looking the damn same as she did in the, in the afternoon. Um, and I think it's four quaaludes deep and Remember she goes, she's singing Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend and she sings it wrong and laughs. The, like she goes Yes, like, okay. Yeah. She's like, that's when those louses go. She's, oh. She starts the wrong lyric. Okay, yeah, but but this is my thing is that, so we see her sing Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. There's another queen who just kind of comes down the aisle singing like this strange falsetto, like, oh, oh. that's going to be unusable. Um. Oh my God, that the one who just screams into down the barrel of the camera and yeah. they just like, they didn't know where to put it. So they just kind of use it as a transition and everyone goes, ah. <laughs> but I think my point, the pointillism mm. I'm trying to make is that we actually don't see very much of Harlow until right before she wins. So we don't actually get, so I, I think what's interesting and this is obviously, again, it's a documentary, it's a peek behind the scenes and it's presumably for an outsider straight audience is that it's, the coverage does not seem to be trying to give us a glimpse of what the audience is seeing of the pageant. We just kind of get random highlights. A lot of it is backstage drama and chatter. And then once they get on stage, it is kind of them, like what's gonna be the most exotic to an outsider? We get a lot of problematic, I mean, this is maybe jumping to the problematic, um, you know, we got a lot of close-ups of their bodies not quite matching their gender presentation or just kind of like not quite fitting properly. And then we do get these like two kind of cringy musical numbers. Um, and it's not clear if those are the only musical numbers or if this was a whole category. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I of course, yeah, I would have 100% just watched the full pageant. Um, <gasps> I have spent hours hours watching uh youtube footage of uh miss continental through the ages mm. um uh i will say okay <clears throat> especially because i loved this and i wrote it down because i think this is just fascinating um okay so for their scoring system okay mm. again this is where everyone's like who cares <laughs> I, the contestants is the answer to that question yes so they get five points for look, five points for talk. <laughs> I remember this. Five for bathing suit, five for gown. <laughs> five for makeup and hairdo, 10 for beauty. I'm having a harder time distinguishing look makeup and hair, their outfits, and beauty. I think How... I get it perfectly based on absolutely nothing but assumptions. Well, obviously beauty is like their overall, just like how beautiful are you? Which I would love to score people on. <laughs> <laughs> on behalf of people, please don't. I'm just going to start leaving like leaving numbers as Instagram comments 
but in each of the categories. So there will just be like a series of five numbers. I, I think you should carry scorecards with you back when, uh, when COVID opens up. And, and then just, just pass like- it to people? No, no, like as people walk by you in the park, just like hold up a card. Or like you're in a restaurant and someone's just walking past your table to the washroom and you're like, four. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I feel like the, the whole looks, outfits, hair and then beauty is the idea that like it doesn't like if you put a lot of work into your makeup and your hair and your dress you should get points for that but there are some people who will be great craftsmen and just won't look great or there will people be like Harlow who will kind of like you know wear whatever roll out of bed but just be so stunning that they get those 10 points yeah it's kind of like um uh, like, remember when, like, Mary-Kate and Ashley would, like, wear just, like... Right now, no. <laughs> you will. Um, and if you don't, well... Um, no, no, like, Mary-Kate and Ashley would wear, like, an oversized poncho or, like, a garbage bag, just giant sunglasses, a cigarette, and a coffee. Now, if I do that, I look like an actual encampment. Whereas for them, it was, like oh, you look fashion because like, you're, sorry, like you're so thin. Yeah. Like you're- (laughs) You're thin and pretty and young and white and a girl. And we've been conditioned to think that like, that is like, that is the the vessel that fashion gets displayed on. Yeah. And if the material is starting to stretch or pucker, it is ugly. (laughs) Oh. So, yeah, so I think the movie is interesting because, like, I guess just, like, you are signing up for the most subjective, superficial concept. Mm -hmm. What's the word I'm looking for? Dick? (laughs) Okay, you are signing up for the most superficial, subjective thing ever. Mm -hmm. So then it's, like, yeah, how, but how, like it, I love the confidence of a drag queen to be like, "This is bullshit," though, because you're like, "What?" It's like, how how do you argue that like this person is how? Oh, but then that being said, I'm like, I'm looking at fucking Harlow's wig just sitting on top of her hair. Yeah, like there's just like two hairs happening. I mean, I I actually buy the 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 queen talking about the whole haven't earned it thing, and then also part of um, uh. Crystal's reaction about like if you think of this as is both a beauty pageant and an, a kind of like early cornerstone of underground queer culture that mm-hmm. part of this is part of the winning and scoring system is not just the subjectivity of beauty but also an acknowledgement of like have you put in the time have you done the work have you like have you preemptively given back to the community in a way that you should be rewarded for um do you feel like as an audience member, you ever care about that? Yeah, yeah. Um, like if one why. person's really talented and one person goes up, flops, and then someone whispers to you, she's so nice and does so much work for the community. Are you no. like, I hope she wins? No, but on Drag Race very often, um, someone's like overall personality is often as big a factor as to the way they perform. Yes. Um, like yes. I... I'm going to say it, and I know she's a great performer, and I wish her well, and I know she's listening, but Violet Chachki, I didn't really rally behind, and I didn't like her as a winner, because I just didn't feel that she, like, as a personality type, worked as a winner, because there is this thing about Drag Race, is that there's this, like, intangible concept of who deserves it, that Mm. I think, and the show teaches you to do this, that we, like, we have this idea that, like, it is a combination of wanting it enough, working for it enough, being the right type of person, this idea that they need to be a leader in some way. And and Violet just being technically proficient at fashion for me wasn't enough. Okay, so like, obviously I'm gonna just, just like, I mean, Violet has proved herself to be uh, an outstanding queen. Like, like she was the queen that came to mind in the Harlow the the Harlow thing of like she's just like she's so stunning she's so young she's so thin mm-hmm. um uh 
but I think Violet has proved herself to be a lot more than that. I agree. I, I'm talking um, about on the show. Like on right. season seven, at the time she was crowned, I had a crystal moment. But yes, the way that we all like in All Stars 2 were then like Katya needs to win because essentially Alaska got mad. Like, <laughs> like everyone kind of really flipped. And that was an entirely like backstage personality thing. I think also leading up to that moment too is that like Katya is just more likable. I think people and and Alaska has since kind of talked about not just that moment, but her whole behavior on All Stars 2 is that she was so obsessively focused on yes. winning that she was not having any fun. Whereas Katya is this like, Katya is like, has this like humility and like underdog goofball thing that is just so like, you want her to win. Yes. Um, yes. But we actually did not watch Drag Race this week. We watched The Queen. <clears throat> so why don't yeah. we take a break? And when we come back, uh, we'll pop up to The Problematic. Um, so, like, I don't know that I have any, like, traditional problematic boxes. And because this is a documentary, I'm really mindful about, like, critiquing real people. But I think a good maybe way to talk about some of the more potentially problematic aspects of, like, a pageant system is to talk about the, the crystal moment at the end. Great. So before Harlow's crowned, we get the, the kind of top four. And among them are Harlow. Harlow is Miss Philadelphia, yeah. uh, Crystal Labeja, who's Miss Manhattan, and two other lovely women whose names I never learned. And yeah. Crystal is the, I think, third place runner up. And Crystal walks off the stage. And she still waits for about a beat. Like they're like, they're like, she's like of the finalists, she gets the lowest rank of every. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Second. Uh, okay. Yeah. The uh, one finalist gets like the lowest rank of all of them, kind of like pageant smile, boop, 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 walk to the side. Yeah. Crystal gets announced and goes dead in the face and mouths, oh my God, twice, walks to the side with just the stanky, stank face as the MC is like, I think we're ready to boom she just walks off stage and the mc is like crystal crystal this is not the time to show temperament and she just but she like still keeps the fantasy going like i thought of all of them it was really interesting to see this like old style of drag because some of them would like walk around with like like a hunchback like they just like looked like truly looked like factory workers being like don't mind me kevin and like crystal labeja had the femininity and like the hand the wave the like the glamour all mm -hmm. of that stuff like feeling herself so and she and she like carries that out mm, great and and then so like after harlow is, is crowned and is like just crying her like beautiful tears um we do kind like of a, a lot too it almost made me like her for a second i'm like okay like are Again, like, is one of the meds now taking you somewhere dark? Like, I'm confused. Like, there was a steady stream of tears down her face. And I'm like, what? I mean, it was the 60s. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we get a smash cut to um, uh, to Crystal and a friend of hers who is only identified as uh, Miss Fire Island. Yes. So presumably like a sister from New York. Um, she's in, she's one of the other very few queens of color in the pageant. And they are just kind of like somewhere backstage in like the bowels of the theater, like just like passing at the cameraman about how, uh, how like Harlow shouldn't have won, how it was rigged, how it was bullshit, how uh, Monique told Crystal not to come because none of the true booties would be here. Where is Sabrina? I will sue the bitch. <laughs> um, and they're just like, they're just- And they like, break the fourth wall. Like, they're like, you tell me. Like, they're like, you tell me, do you think she deserved to win? You tell me right now. You yeah. saw everything. Yes. And then there's like, no, and then they're like, well, I know from the smile on your face that you know that she shouldn't have won. Like, it's like, oh. it's, Yeah. And then later she goes to the dressing room and like, Harlow is, Harlow is giving us like Aquarius white tears in Untucked because everyone's just kind of yelling her around her. And like, like you know, like the, the pageant organizers are defending uh, Harlow and yelling at Crystal and Crystal's yelling at Sabrina. And Harlow's just kind of sitting there like crying and looking sad. Um, 
And there yes. is actually a and really it, sweet moment where someone else kind of goes to yell at Harlow and, and Crystal says like, no, don't yell at Harlow. It's not her fault that yes. this was rigged in her favor, but she shouldn't have won. She is beautiful, but she didn't look beautiful on stage. So is this moment of like, Crystal is coming for the pageant more than Harlow specifically? Yes. And, and, and though I did, yes, I will say that that is, um, uh, that was a moment of Demi kindness. <laughs> It is still like if you're standing there in a fucking dress yeah. and someone's like, no, 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 no. This isn't about you. You are beautiful. You just weren't tonight. <laughs> yes. And then says, look at her hair. Look at her dress. Yeah. And yeah. you're like, okay, I'm feeling like I'm not exactly like. No. <laughs> I mean, it's a little about me. Um... <laughs> yes. Yeah. You've said my name 38 times. So like, I'm still feeling like a little attacked, but um. Uh, yeah, and she goes, and Sabrina was kind of interesting because then I'm like, because Sabrina's like, you can talk to every single one of those judges if you want at the after party. Like some of them I didn't even meet till tonight. Yeah. And you think like, it's, yeah, sometimes things aren't, like, it's like the thing is they did help her. They did do things that like maybe they wouldn't that they weren't doing for the other contestants specifically some of the um the contestants of color like there were advantages given to harlow that were not given to other contestants for sure like like what it seems like is like did sabrina walk up to all the judges and said here's a hundred dollars pick the young one no probably not but yes there's a mix of they were giving her a lot more support than they were giving the other queens. And there's kind of maybe a built-in bias amongst um, amongst yes. the judges that isn't being counterbalanced. So like, this is something, um, so like there is, uh, I don't want to say established, but like lots of people have pointed out that there is kind of a racial bias on drag race. And that kind of manifests in the kinds of challenges uh, that they, like the nature of the challenges they give, the judging and a lot of the fan reactions. Fans. And a lot of, yeah. And a lot of people will say, it's like, yeah, but they casted like eight black queens. Like what else are they supposed to do? And it's like, yeah, it's not just actually about, that's like a very like superficial equality. If you allow a diverse population to compete, but don't address the fact mm. that like the actual scoring system and like all of the things they're having to go through has a racial bias. So par exemple, um, if in the the evening wear, the gown competition, um, the standard is around a very kind of like white, waspy, glamour form of beauty that Black queens of color are not going to, like to a, a predominantly white judging panel who are looking for an intangible around glamour, um, yeah. are, are looking for like a very like Grace Kelly kind of beauty, that that doesn't... Uh, if there's no, if there's no one is kind of like addressing the fact that that has a racially biased implication, that that is still kind of working against the queens of color in a way more complicated way than just slipping everyone 20 bucks to vote for Harlow. And that's the thing that I was kind of thinking about. Again, this is, this is just a question mm-hmm. of like, how do, like, how do you, how do you address like unconscious bias or subconscious bias or whatever when it's like when something is uh something like uh not even so much like a drag race but like a a pageant a something where there's like a subjective vote Mm -hmm. like someone is giving a score based on like this is not the Stephen Hawking like competition where there's like an answer written down and you're like well this one's right and this one's wrong yeah it's like well which one did you like more we all have these like ingrained biases. So how do you then approach it? Cause you're just get, like, I might just think like, I might see Harlow and just be like, she's so, uh, to be honest, I was like, I think she's so pretty. Yeah. And I saw Crystal Abasia and I'm like, she looks like a bit of a brick. I love the personality. The hair is magnificent. The face I'm like, whoo. And we're getting used to the sixties teeth from across the board. Um, but how much of that is also like, the way beauty standards and the media have like played into my idea, my conception of beauty. Mm -hmm. So it's tough. It's (laughs) tough. I think the first step is everyone should listen to this podcast. Where two white people explain how (laughs) racial biases work. I'm exhausted. Let's never talk about this again. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So 
I'm also wondering if maybe we can get a little uh, Cam's lecture lecture, I don't even know her, um, on, you know, a moment like this, a moment in time. Talk to me, 1962. So, um, 1968? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I think what is probably noteworthy about this uh, movie is that it's pre-Stonewall. Stonewall. It's, it's, yeah, it's um, Pronewall. Uh, so this is all happening before a lot of the kind of like, it's it, before gay liberation was kind of a thing as we know it today. Okay, um, sorry to interrupt you, but please. I'm going to. Yeah. Um, I kind of wondered, cause like there was a scene near the end where there was um, uh, either a police or uh, a security police or like just someone in a uniform. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was like, oh, wait, Based on when this is, isn't this illegal? Okay, now we are getting into it. So yes, during the 1960s, and actually like, I mean, so cross-dressing laws go back a really long way. Um, And actually, historically, they also mix with um, cross-dressing laws about class. uh, Class-dressing? Class-dressing laws. Uh, It used to be illegal to dress above your station. like this is like that's way back like that's a 1700s thing but well then i'm glad you're wearing flannel (laughs) and i'm glad you're wearing a graphic tee (laughs) um anyway uh yeah yeah so cross-dressing laws were very much a thing and it was really heavily enforced kind of in like the 50s and 60s um but however even as early as the 1800s because um in theater uh, cross-dressing was a big part of theater, uh, especially- Shake a spear. Yes, that's how you say that word. Um, you, and and also kind of because of like things like Halloween, but basically like if it was Jamie for- Jamie Lee Curtis? <laughs> right, Halloween. Okay, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I need to see you after class. Before uh, cross-dressing laws got really intense, um, men played women in uh, theater. And so cross-dressing, quote unquote, is a big part of the history of theater and performance. So it was possible to get special, um, and also the Halloween is, you know, largely about like dressing up and some of that is cross-dressing and some of that is like dressing, you know, outside of your social class. Um, You could get licenses in uh, the 50s and 60s, like cabaret license or theater licenses. So basically if it was on stage or if you had a special kind of party license that was sponsored by an existing established organization, you like could get absolute exceptions vodka, for it. Cocktails perfected? Exactly. In fact, there is a really, uh, there was a famous court case in the 1800s about two male actors who were arrested for cross-dressing in public, but were able to argue that it was for a play, even though it was happening in broad daylight. And they were, they got off. So I, th- I think like pageants in this period were able to kind of obs- uh, obtain special licenses because it, it was a performance. It was clearly for like artistic expression or theatricality. Um, mm, love that. Yeah. So like, I think that great question. And that's an important moment. Um, I mean, this is also, I tried to, I tried to kind of look into like the the history of drag pageants. And from what I can tell, again, it's not quite my area, but they don't go back much further than the sixties. And they are, and mm-hmm. like the flawless Sabrina is kind of credited with being like one of the pioneers of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, this is pretty, if we think of like, um, like the like um the imperial court system, which comes a little later, and uh, in in a certain expression, like ballrooms form out of resentment against this kind of like racist system. Uh, yeah. So a lot of the subcultural things around queerness and drag, um, really kind of come out of the pageant scene. Uh, I think also like you were saying before, like the idea of like what are the stakes here, and like this is so subjective. I think another thing it's important to remember is that like at this point this kind of style of drag and and uh, participating in a pageant like there really wasn't a lot of above ground gay life yes like if you wanted to be a member of a queer community or a gay community and have any kind of like self-expression of that um there were fairly few uh ways to do that and to meet other people like yourself so i mean this was in terms of like the social stakes of this, I think the stakes were pretty high for people. 100%. Like, yeah. And I think I, this. I think that's the thing that always make, 
makes things like this funny is it's that there's like social stakes without any real world stakes. Mm -hmm. And even though actually your social world is your real world, whatever, but like, Mm -hmm. of course, whenever I'm in any kind of competition, I care the most. You cannot tell me like if I'm playing fucking heads up with three people, I want someone, I want me to win and someone to cry. Oh, I've seen you play a very low stakes game of heads up and it gets vicious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, I don't celebrate that about myself, but I do know that it's there. <laughs> for sure. Um, the other thing I just wanted to flag is that, like, I don't know if you thought it was strange at all that they were singing live. Like, if that no. clocks that. Okay. I'm <laughs> super woke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an ally. <laughs> um, yeah, so, like, this is at a time where lip syncing was still kind of stigmatized and would have been seen as more like... Uh, so like the, these are like, this is a, I mean, we understand this as a drag pageant, but they more often use the word female impersonator. Um, and right. lip syncing at this point was much more associated with uh, less quote unquote legitimate drag. Oh. This is a little more like highbrow. It's like, it's, it's like more professional. There's kind of a delineation between, um, like most of these queens don't live, uh, li- don't live full time. Uh, as women, they kind of like self-identify as men who do drag in a very contained space. Uh, and that's a big like respectability thing. Uh, lip syncing does not become kind of more standardized until the eighties. So, yeah. Um, and the other thing is there's a moment where they're kind of sitting around talking about, would you get, they use the word sex change because it's the sixties. And, and it's interesting that it's, it, they don't have a conversation of, are you gay or are you trans? It's kind of like everyone's passing around a sex change. Does anyone want a hit of it? Yes. Yes. And they all say no, but. Th- I One of them the- says they have the money for it. And I was like, oh, don't tell me you're not thinking about it. Uh, well, like three of the, I'd say the three most prolific people in this movie go on to self-identify as trans women. Harlow. Harlow. Yeah, um, figured. Crystal. Yeah. And uh, Sabrina. And Sabrina. Sabrina is actually featured uh, in uh, Disclosure, which is the documentary about trans visibility that came out on Netflix last year. They don't interview her because she had, I think she passed away before it was made. But a couple of the, she's in some of the footage and a lot of the women uh, who were interviewed talk about her as kind of a, a trans role model. Aww. And, and that's my history corner for today. Love it. Uh, so final thoughts, Patrick? Um, my final thoughts are, um, you know, just a couple of, of assorted moments that like uh, tickled me, entertained me. Um, again, especially when you're, you're peeking into as just a fish on the wall. Um, it's like all of the references don't mean anything really to me. So it makes them really funny. Like it's like someone's made them up. Um, so one of my favorite lines was definitely, oh, Cupcake Cassie's been doing that trick for 40 years. And you're like, she's not even in here. And she just got fully dragged. Poor Cupcake Cassie. Um, I love I love them saying, like, if you are removing a garment, um, let us know and a page will grab it instead of the old trick of like losing your duster and just dropping it behind you, which looks very unprofessional, that you will hold it out. A page will immediately show up there and do it. And I saw it in action later in the movie. And sorry, minus one, the queen looked to the wrong shoulder. So like, she was like, the pages, oh, the pages on my right. And I was like, mm, minus two. You gotta turn um, that page, page, page turner. <laughs> Welcome to the stage, page turner. Um, I also loved, uh, there's like a little, like, again, this is like the, um, there was like a little store where they go to get some of their drags which was, um, I guess it was like Madame Berta. Uh, It was like theatrical wardrobe or something, whatever. And they very quickly show Madame Berta who looks like she is all of three foot 10. Um, And immediately I was like, where is her movie? Like, Like, cause she, again, we very briefly see her and immediately she was established to me as an ally. And uh, I was just very interested in, I mean, first of all, how she reaches the gowns up top, but um, 
but just her life in general. I need you to go home. We're already home. I need you to spend uh, this summer writing your script and you need to premiere Berta the Nation uh, at Fringe next year. I would love to. Um, and then I will just say that I really loved, um, I wasn't quite sure like what the moment was for. It kind of felt mean, but then it felt nice where uh, Sabrina was like, and just so everyone knows, Miss Boston refused to do the swimwear portion. And you're like, oh, and they're like, but she's just going to like come out in a gown maybe again or whatever. And again, like, bigger girl comes out in the gown and everyone clapped. And I thought, yeah, fucking good for you, Miss Boston. You're like, I don't want to do the swimsuit thing. Fuck that. You shouldn't have to. No. Um, yeah, those were, those were my little, uh, my little moments. Cool. I realized I didn't, we didn't really introduce Sabrina. We just kind of started talking about her. So the pageant is, is run and emceed by Flawless Sabrina and Flawless Sabrina is this like amazing drag icon, trans trailblazer and uh, drag trailblazer. And she kind of has this great moment at the beginning where she kind of explains that the character she does as the MC, she calls it a, like a bar mitzvah mother so that none of the queens are intimidated by her. Cause she's, she's giving you this like Bianca Del Rio matron character, uh, but she runs the whole thing and she's like snapping her fingers and her mom seems to be involved. And she like- Doesn't, doesn't she say at some point like, she was like, I'm like, she's like, I'm, I'm 23 years old, but in drag, I'm 104. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Serena's amazing. Yeah. We um, are, we are all, um, we are all excited for the chilling adventures of Wallace Sabrina. <laughs> uh, yeah. There are just some, uh, some little like cameos and tea I wanted to spell. Um, oh. So I, first I should mention, I think I, I kind of alluded to it is that, uh, um, very soon after this, uh, um, Crystal Levesia goes on to essentially found the house system of, of uh, balls in New York. Um, mm -hmm. Like drag balls go back quite a bit further, but in terms of like, again, like having a formalized house system that ends up kind of establishing Vogue and everything we kind of know from Paris's burning and pose, that is really credited uh, to, to Crystal. And uh, there's a great line in, um, in pose. One of the Queens kind of mentions, uh, uh, Crystal establishing drag balls because she was sick of uh, the white girls beating her at pageants. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, so there is a like, there is a very quick shot, blink and you'll miss it, where they shoot, the, uh, they cut to the audience and it's just Andy Warhol watching the drag pageants. Okay, right. I saw that and I was like, is that Andy Warhol? Yeah. Or like, yeah, okay. Like a lot of Warhol superstars were drag queens and he yeah. obviously that was like a big part of his world. So he was just like checking out the talent, um, yeah. looking for the new Candy Darling maybe. Uh, so uh, Harlow went on, I think about seven years later. Um, so Harlow did actually transition in the seventies and uh, she went on to have an affair with Grace Kelly's brother. <laughs> My thing who is, is Nev Campbell's <laughs> uncle. Sorry, Nev Campbell's brother's grandfather, <laughs> Grace Kelly's brother. As I was saying it, I realized again, it's like, what is the fuck is it with me and famous people's brothers? I know, because it's like <laughs> it's it's always when you go like with Nev Campbell's brother. <laughs> Grace Kelly is a much bigger deal than Nev Campbell. Yes, but then it's his brother. <laughs> well, I hoped it would be Grace Kelly's husband, where you're like, ah, directly tied to Grace. <laughs> nope. Okay, but still, okay, so Carlo had an affair with Grace Kelly's brother. <laughs> That's the end of the story. And, and then he was going to get disinherited, so we had to break it off. He left his wife for her, but then um, the family who was come from money was like, you have to end this affair or we will. We will disinherit you and you'll lose your rich people allowance. The last thing I just want to mention, honorable mm -hmm. mention to the character of Joey. Okay. Joey is Sabrina's right-hand man. Joey is, you know, like helps Sabrina run the pageant. There's one moment where Joey, where uh, Sabrina is like, I need Joey. I can't do anything without Joey. Joey is just like 
He's such a bitch. There is a moment really early on where he's like reading them the riot act and telling everyone how the pageant's going to go. And there's this other woman who's just kind of like talking at, while Joey's talking. And he just turns to her and goes like, Mary Alice Louise, may I please speak to the contestant? Also, Joey, who first of all, like kind of looks like that little, like the like the helper woman from the Incredibles, like that short one with the big eyes. Like also Joey for seemingly no reason gets into quick drag for the pageant because Joey is very much on the other side of the curtain. <laughs> like no one sees her, but she's wearing like a nude lip and like, and like some sheer kind of champagne blouse. Bless. I think it's so other people know. She's like, listen, I have like, I've done the walk. I've, I've been here before. To me, Joey is Jackie Hoffman. Like in the remake, it'll just be Jackie Hoffman. I, you bitch, you bitch. I thought that. I swear to God, her. I was like, a hundred percent Jackie Hoffman. Yeah, one hundred percent. Like at first, I was like, why do I picture Joey singing um, three times a lady at someone's funeral? Oh, because it's Jackie Hoffman. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Great. So that's that's the queen. That's the queen. Uh, check it out. She's on Netflix. She is she on Netflix? Yeah. She's also on YouTube if you want Russian subtitles. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for listening. Please like and subscribe and uh, write us a little review on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find us. Uh, if you would like to send us any movie suggestions or just want to say hi, you can email us at videoqueenspod at gmail.com or tweet us at videoqueenspod on Twitter. And just for fun, uh, we're also on Instagram at videoqueenspod. Uh, so this was our first week of our Pride special on uh, drag movies. Please join us next week. Where we'll have another fun, uh, fabulous drag movie. Happy Pride. Bye. Oh, my. Bye.